Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teamwork A Better Way podcast. I'm Christian Napier, and I am joined by the the purple paisley man today, uh, Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you? Good. You know, I like being the purple paisley man, purple paisley people eater. I don't know. <laughs> well, here we are, Spencer, the warm before the storm, as we say here. Uh, we, we've got a big uh, winter storm approaching here. But uh, how was your weekend? Weekend was great. Uh, just worked all day Saturday and Sunday was just a, a nice day of rest and had family over, played some, you know, some games at church and games and, and, uh, and then my, my son and wife and I have had this new idea that we are going to be watching movies based on composers. So what we did is we, we listed all the top composers and the movies that they, that they, uh, scored. And so we started with Henry Mancini and uh, thought you might be interested in that. And so the first one we watched was just a silly, funny, it's called Condor Man. I don't know if you remember that from like the late 70s. Yeah. <laughs> really cheesy, but the music was good, Henry Mancini. And then we watched uh, Pink Panther Returns as the next uh, Henry Mancini movie. That's fantastic. If I recall, the lead actor in Condor Man uh, was the lead broadway actor for phantom of the opera i did not know that i mean i i believe that yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he was a he's a, he was a funny guy so like that voice sounds familiar yeah so i think that's a, so cool henry mancini uh film scores very very good okay well let's dive right into it because we've got an amazing guest here today with us uh vance valencia I met Vance uh, a couple months ago uh, through a, a connection, a mutual connection. Vance is a retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel. Uh, he served 21 years as a civil engineer, and he is the owner of Valencia Consulting, and he specializes in building high-performing teams uh, with systems. And I'm really interested to dive into that uh, because systems are so important. And he works a lot with uh, architectural firms, engineering firms, construction firms. He holds a PhD in systems engineering from the Air Force Institute of Technology. And he uh, was privileged to be a squadron commander twice. I'm curious about that. Uh, and he's going to share today a little bit about this uh, systems framework, especially for, for small businesses or uh, small business owners and leaders uh, that they can use on their journey towards scaling and growing their business with high-performing teams. So uh, super excited to have Vance Valencia join us. So Vance, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for carving time out of your schedule uh, to have a conversation with us. Hey guys, how's it going? Yeah, super excited to be here. Thank you so much for uh, in inviting me onto your podcast and uh, letting me talk a little bit about something that I'm passionate about, you know, systems and processes. And I know that a lot of people are like, you're passionate about systems and like, how can that be? I, it's just, I found in my career, especially in the military, that um, having good management structures, uh, which is, helps you with, with being a good leader. And, and I think that's at the heart of what it is that you guys are trying to do with helping people build teams or lead lead their teams and and what i found is that you know there's there's two sides of the coin there's leadership and there's management and you have to have both so that you can be that person that's there for 
for your team and, and, and help them uh, help them grow and, and accomplish what it is that you need them to do as a leader. Well, uh, thank you once again, Vance, for coming on and for that, just kind of setting the stage there. But I'm curious, before we dive deep into the systems element of it, uh, you know, 21 years in the military, that's a long period of time. That's a full career. Uh, sometimes that transition is difficult. I know uh, I've I've had family members that have been in the military for various periods of time from, you know, a couple of years to 20 years or more. Uh, and so I'm curious how you were able to navigate that transition of, you know, being in this military space for a long period of time and then come over to the civilian side of the fence. Yeah. Well, one thing that we all know in the military and, um, uh, uh, don't don't sometimes don't pay enough attention to is that one day we all hang up the uniform uh one day the military thing ends whether it's you know four years or or 21 years and when you when you get into that career it's so easy just to get um not necessarily stuck but in that frame of mind thinking that um you know the next day is going to be just like um yesterday yesterday was and not paying enough attention to making that transition. Uh, and so, uh, you know, if there's any military folks out there listening, uh, you know, transition really starts happening. You know, you really need to start planning for it years out. I started planning for my transition, uh, leaving the military about two years from when I officially, uh, officially retired. And one of the things that I learned is that the skills that, that, that we have in the military or, or learn in the military, um, uh, what, do, what do I usually say? Um, employing, you know, employing, uh, uh, employing force to get people to do what we want them to do. Uh, that's not exactly transferable to the outside. And even as a civil engineer, um, the things that I did in the military uh, aren't exactly, they're not one-to-one -one transferable. And so I've had to do a little bit of reorientation and self-education uh, to help with that with that transition out. And then also, I don't wanna sound like I did it all by myself. The military has a very good system, uh, sorry for bringing that up early, system and process for transitioning out. You know, there's the transition assistance program. Um, and if you take all the classes, follow the track that you want, whether it's employment or small business ownership um, or, uh, or, or government employment, um, if, if you follow the tracks, uh, that helps with that transition out because the number one thing most people are worried about is, is finding employment after they leave, um, after they leave from the military. Um, the other thing that I found super helpful and, and necessary is, is connecting with a community uh, because my community has always been, you know, the folks in uniform and the civilians supporting us. And so I lived in that bubble, but, what I found is that there's a huge veteran community out there where um, if you just put yourself, if you just put yourself out there are willing to meet with people um, you'll, you'll find um, you'll find some great peers and a great sense of communities that can help you along your journey as you, and as you transition out. Um, you know, I'm not going to say it's been easy. It's been uh, a challenge, but I think it's a challenge for, for everybody as they, as they leave the military, I think it's a normal thing to go through, especially, especially having spent, you know, such a long time in one organization and then, you know, finding, you know, finding your tribe 
um, has been a real challenge. You know, and that's that's one of the reasons why we wanted to, to hear from you on that, because you know, there's so many transitioning veterans and, and some that have already made that transition that are struggling with just making, you know, the having the success that they want to have that maybe they experienced before. You, you, you mentioned two things. You talked about, you know, great introduction to your really interest in systems. And you talked about leadership and, and, and management. You got to have both. I heard, you know, if you're flying a plane, you need to have left wing and right wing. And <laughs> you can't do one without the other. But then you also talked about, as you talked about the transition from military to civilian life, you talked about the, one of the biggest challenges, which is getting compliance without force, right? Or without, yeah. hey, you know, I, my position says you you do this and you obey my orders. And that's really about discretionary effort, which is all about team performance, getting discretionary effort, meaning the, the, the desire for willful support of leadership. So as you, you know, as you look at what your interest in systems and, and team performance, I mean, how would you characterize it? Is it more leadership? Is it more management? Or is it both? I, oh, it's, it's definitely both. It's definitely both. You know, one of the things I figured out late in my career um, is that um, as so as a leader, you, it, what we say is leadership is a contact sport. You have to get to know your you have to get to know your folks um, at the tail end of my career. So one of the greatest privileges that I had was being a squadron commander. And my first year, everybody's first year in squadron command at that level it's always so difficult because, um, well, unless, unless you, you know, had, had thought about it for, for, you know, your entire career that you wanted to be a squadron commander, maybe it's not as difficult, but for me, it was super difficult. Uh, and I didn't, I never understood that leadership is a contact sport in that you need to get to know your people very, very well so that you can inspire and motivate them. I went in into my first year as a squadron commander, um, not, understanding what that meant and strictly from a managerial point of view and i came in with kind of guns a blazing we're going to fix this process we're going to we're going to fix that you guys need to think my way and it and and that first year went terrible i was just talking to my daughter uh, about it uh, on the car ride from uh we went we went snowboarding yesterday and on the car ride back i was i was telling her about that first year and how uh my uh, my command team, my, my deputy, uh, civil engineer and my, um, uh, uh, chief enlisted, uh, chief enlisted advisor. Oh my gosh. We just, we just didn't get along. And part of it was because, um, I didn't take the time to get to know them. Right. As, as a person, I didn't get the, I didn't take the time to understand what it is that they did and, and really respect their expertise, their, knowledge, um, the emotion and the sacrifice that they bring, that they bring to their job. And so I really screwed up that, I really screwed up that first year. And, and as a team leader, when you mess up that bad at the beginning, it's really, really hard to recover. Now, because I was such strong on the management side, I was able to uh, create a framework for my squadron so that things were as predictable as we could get them to be. I was able to create a framework so that we were able to communicate our value to the rest of the airbase that we were supporting. Um, and, and that kind of helped overcome that, that big stumbling block that I had uh, up front. Now, I say all that because I had the opportunity to command a second time. 
And that second time, now I knew all about leadership as a team sport. I already had the management acumen. And I'll tell you that second time around as a squadron commander, both organizations were about 350 strong. Um, that second time, oh, so much easier. Uh, so much easier because um, I slowed down up front. I let my people get to know me and who I was and what I stood for. I And then I, I spent, I remember early on, part of my, uh, uh, part of my framework was to spend an hour. I, and I just wanted to get to know everybody that was, that was um, my direct report. Uh, and so I had about a dozen. And so it, it seems daunting. It's like 12 hours you got to spend talking with these folks. But I made sure that to schedule it over the course of a couple, three weeks, I, I went to their office. I sat down and I, I said, you know, the, the, the basics of the, of the conversation was, tell me about, you know, tell me about you, um, what it is, in, in, and what are your goals and, you know, what are your goals and desires? What do you want to get done in the next year, in the next two years? And that conversation was all about them so that they, I could get to know, I could get to know them. And uh, it's funny, uh, my second deputy said, you know, in, in her 25 years of running that squadron, she'd never had a commander uh, do that for her. And it was well, well appreciated. So getting to know your people is, is such a huge, huge part of being uh, a team leader. I, I just have, I have a couple questions about that. And, and I'm Christian, you may do, do as well. But my first question is, is that when you spent that 12 hours, how did you feel at the end of the day? Oh, fantastic. Right. Because I get, I get to, we got to connect on a, you know, on a personal, on a personal level. Um, and it, it was, it was a little silly. I, I would get teary eyed towards the end of my command because I'm like, this is like, I, you, bye. <laughs> I'm leaving you guys. <laughs> well, you know what, Vince, I, I love the, the, the comparison of those, those two command scenarios and just the difference. And so much research that is available. We've talked a lot about that on the show is the best leaders are able to adapt their leadership style. Right. And, and so what I heard you say is the thing that was natural for you was systems and process. And, and that was what you, you led with. And that's great. You need that, but you also need to be able to inspire and motivate and engage and, and connect. And that is for not everybody has that same problem. Some people are really good at connecting and inspiring and motivating, but they really struggle with the systems and processes, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what, what what I heard you say is, all right, so that's not my strength, but I understand the value and I get to work on that in order for me to be successful. And And so part of my question was, did you said you were excited at the end of the day, but did you find that all of that connection maybe made you tired from time to time and you needed to account for that? <laughs> well, yeah, well, but, um, so, so, uh, you, you know, there's, there's kind of two spectrums on the in, extroversion spectrum, right? There's introverts and extroverts and I'm a very heavy introvert, right? And so any social connection that I have, I get tired and, and yes, uh, it does, it does drain. And so there are, there are folks that I envy because they're extroverts and they just, they just love it. And it comes naturally to them. But on the flip side, I've run into so many leaders that don't have that management acumen. And I just characterize them then as just cheerleaders, because when you go talk to their folks, when you go talk to their folks, their folks are frustrated. Like this guy has a shine, you know, this guy has a great idea every two weeks, you know, what are we supposed to do? And, and he's letting, 
you know, although, although I, I envy that trait and I try to emulate that, um, he's letting his people down because, uh, he, he doesn't have that structure in place to really help drive the organization in a direction Hence, that both that needs are to go. needed. All of that is needed. So Christian, <laughs> right, I know right. you had a question. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I find this conversation fascinating. I want to come into the systems element of it and perhaps just start by clarifying terminology. So when we talk about systems, that might mean different things to different people. So uh, when you talk about systems, what does it mean to you? Because sometimes we might think, oh, well, systems means it's a tech, it's a technology system. Like, oh, it's I, we're implementing SAP here or something like that. So, so, you know, when you talk about systems, what does that mean? In in this context, systems and processes are the are the are, are one in the same. It's um, where you have an input. It goes through a series of steps, and you then have and this is key a consistent output. Uh, and so, a good system, a good process has that. There's some input that goes into a you know a box where you transform that input into a consistent output and that's it that's that's what i mean by uh by by a system and or process so when i say system and process just know that that it's 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 synonymous and yes when i talk to folks and i lead with uh, or business owners and i lead with systems yes they do think uh off the bat sometimes an it system but really what i'm talking about is process um you know you have a customer come in What's that interaction going to be? And if you have a good system and a good process, you know exactly what that uh, what that the outcome of that interaction is going to be because you have consistency in uh, in your process. Great question, Christian. And and so you you know people aren't left to their own devices. They know you know what step A, step B you know, step C, whatever it is, they, they know what to do. And that gives them then confidence to, to perform is, is, is what I would imagine. Right. Right. And there's a, there's an element of what I, you know, what I do and what's important, which is accountability. Right. So, so even if you um, have, have outlined and written the best process manual or best system and, and talk to your folks about it, if you don't have, an accountability system to ensure that they're following the steps in the process or follow up when they deviate from the steps in the process um, that does you you know that does you no good because in the end uh, your team's going to revert to what's easiest right what's easiest for them um, if there's no uh, if there's no accountability uh, and so um, uh, the, the the account you know the accountability piece you know not making not not allowing your folks to you know leave them to their own own devices will help you in getting that uh, consistency and reliability in your in your business or 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 in the tasks that your team needs to to deliver on Uh, Spencer coming in with the timely bumper there. Uh, all right. It sounds so simple when you describe it this way. Oh, 
I have inputs, I have a number of steps, I have an output. But for whatever reason, I personally have a tendency to overcomplicate these processes. Uh, and I create a process that has 30 steps in it when maybe it should have <laughs> four steps in it. So uh, I, I'm really interested in this question. How do you help organizations create simple processes? Because uh, oftentimes we create things that are very, very complex. And then we wonder why we're not getting the output we desire. And it's because what we engineer was so darn complicated. <laughs> so there's, there's two main concepts. So I'll, I'll talk about the first one, um, the 80-20 principle, uh, sometimes called the Pareto, oftentimes called the Pareto principle. And um, Pareto was this Italian economist who, I, I think it was, um, it, it was a wealth study, I think it's specifically on land, where he discovered that uh, 80% of the wealth or 80% of the property um, uh, w was owned by 20% by of the people, um, you know, in, in his in his study. And, and as time has gone on, that 80-20 principle applies to, to, to a lot of other things. You know, you spend 80% um, of your time on 20% on of the tasks that, um, that, that get you the result, or if you're efficient, 20% of your time on 80% of the results. Or uh, maybe uh, in a team setting, 80% um, uh, of your uh, disciplinary problems come from 20% 20, 20 of your people. Sometimes those, that fraction goes to you know, 75, 25, or, or, or 90, 10, but the principle still holds. You have a small minority of, of, of things that affect a large majority of other things. And so when it comes to systems and processes, what you want to look at is, what are the things that you're doing? What are your processes that are getting you 80% of your results? And when you start looking at your work in that framework, you'll find that there's only a small fraction of the things that you do that get you the big results, that, that, that 20%. And so that first concept is to work on um, just documenting those core processes. What are the 20% what are the 20% of your core processes that are getting you 80% of the results, right? And so um, what often happens is when we start talking about, um, say, say a process, as I'm working with business owners, they'll start talking about, um, oh, but then we do this other thing. And, and when this thing happens, we have to do this. And so they start talking about exceptions. And so this first concept is really about um, understanding that what you want to document, what you want to write down and have available, available for your folks are those core processes. And when you have exceptions, hand those exceptions off to the senior people on your team. After all, that's what you're paying them the big bucks for. You're, you're having them use their critical thinking and their experience to help solve the problem. Uh, and so what you're really looking at are um, the main things that are repeatable uh, the most, uh, the most probable path, and for the that improbable things, the one-offs. Don't worry about writing a system for them. This is where your creativity, your problem solving, uh, your critical thinking comes in to help solve that 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 one-off problem. And if and then if you find that that one-off is more than just a one-off, okay, then it's time to consider writing down or thinking about writing down uh, those steps as a um, uh, as a system or a process. 
And then, and then the other thing for you, Christian, that the second main concept that I wanted to share was that writing down systems, it's actually a two person job. Um, because, um, uh, the, the, and the two people are, um, somebody in your organization that is that subject matter expert in, uh, whatever that system or process is, and then somebody else in the organization that you've assigned to be uh, what I'll call the systems champion, uh, the person that has the knowledge and expertise to quickly be able to interview and then document uh, that system and process. Um, and, and it works because um, most people don't like, you know, don't find value in writing down what it is that they do on a regular basis because because they know how to do that system or process. Um, but when you when you uh, frame it in a way that what you're doing when you're writing this down or working with a systems champion and having these things documented is that you can then kind of replicate yourself. Um, you can hand off that work to other teammates to, to be able to increase the, the ability to accomplish a task or perform the task better or when there's a new employee that comes in, having the documentation already ready so that they can pick up the job uh, much quicker than having to wait on somebody to, to, to train them up. Uh, there was one or engineering organization that I worked with where their problem was as they were growing, new people would come in and they would ask, okay, how do you, you know, um, how do you get an access badge? And the answer was, Go talk to this person, uh, and then and then the next thing would be how do you um, get access to um, you know the different folders and and it would be go talk to this person. They didn't have any uh, you know documentation written down, and so that onboarding process for those new employees it was so inefficient um, and inefficient and frustrating for both the new person and the subject matter expert uh, because the new person would have to you know, get the runaround to, to be able to start working. And then the subject matter expert would get interrupted uh, in their day in order to help this, this one-off person. Uh, and so uh, having a systems champion to help document um, makes uh, creating uh, creating systems a, a two-person job. Uh, and, and those would be the two keys that I'd um, uh, stress in this, in this interview as where to get started understand what your core processes are and then uh, find a systems champion and make documentation of your core processes and systems a two-person job all right so i have a a, a scenario i'm just going to throw out for you and, and tell me let's say you have the the sales team you know it doesn't matter if it's an engineering company they all have to have you know a sales team and so to you know bringing in the pareto principle let's say 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your clients, right? And that's typical. You have clients that are, are very engaged and, and are profitable. And then there are some that are, are less so. What would you say to the sales manager that says to their sales team, I need you to, to go after all of those uh, you know, those accounts, the 80% that, you know, bring us 20% of the revenue. What, what's the impact on the team if you have an approach like that? So, so a reverse approach where, yeah. where, uh, that's interesting. Um, I've never, so I've never, <laughs> I've never 
thought of it that way. And I imagine if if you and so so in other words, chase every deal, no matter how small. What yeah. would be the so, impact on on the team? Yeah, so I mean, I, I imagine there would be just a lot of frustration because what everybody wants to do is uh, I'm going to reuse your word impact. What everybody wants to do is is make an impact uh, in you know in their work. You know, they, they show up, they give their 40 hours a week, and and they don't want to be in a position to where at the end of the week they're thinking, you know, what did I just you know what did I just do? Um, or, or <laughs> if, um, and this goes back to that discretionary effort comment that you had, if at the end that employee is saying, oh, you know, it kind of doesn't matter. I got my, you know, I got my paycheck for the week. It, you know, it doesn't matter. They're withholding their, their discretionary effort. The, the kinds of employees that you want to be working with, to be working on your team are those that want to have, uh, an impact, uh, on the company on the people around them, uh, the team that they're working for, on the work that they um, that they do. When 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 you set up a system to where they can see that they're making major impact, where they're working on and 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 doing actions that are getting eighty percent that that eighty percent chunk, not the twenty percent chunk, but the eighty percent chunk, they're less frustrated, they're happier employees, and you just get higher team performance from them because they're, they're less frustrated and, and know that the work that they do is meaningful. And that's, I think what everybody at some level wants to, uh, uh, um, wants to have is, is to show up to a job that is, that is meaningful um, and, and that they're, you know, and that they're engaged. Uh, and so it's incumbent on the leader to make sure that they're not doing the reverse Pareto principle, like you suggested in your scenario that you know, don't have them chase after every lead, uh, be able to identify um, those, um, um, those key clients uh, or those key actions that are, that are really, making, uh, really making an impact uh, on the business, on the work, uh, on, the people, on the people around them. Uh, you, you, I, I think that that point is is perfectly stated because we only have so much energy available to us, right? And so we need to use the limited energy that we have on the greatest return, which is one of the reasons why you said document all of your processes and the ones that are are bringing the best return on on investment of time, on on investment of money, whatever it is. It is you want to you want to leverage the team. You want to leverage the team's energy their passion, their commitment, the, the systems, all of that to get the highest response. And, and so I just threw that in the opposite because some, some leaders are concerned with every, you know, not one penny drops to the floor just because of, you know, wh whatever that is, is driving them to, to get that revenue. And it can have a, a create diminishing returns on, yep. on the uh, discretionary effort of the team. And, and just their, as you said, frustration is it, is it, rises they get less out of those those team members so uh, i think you stated that perfectly all right i got a question <laughs> uh you know when it comes to these processes when it comes to these systems uh you you really have a couple of goals here um you know one is that consistent 
uh, approach. So you're you're delivering a consistent quality output, and and it's it's predictable. Uh, number two is ideally you would create a system that was more efficient than uh, what you currently have uh, so that you can do more in less time. And the third component is, uh, as you go through this process, you learn things, you collect data that allows you to make better business decisions, right? So uh, sometimes, uh, however, you may end up making one person on your team's job slightly less efficient so that a downstream process could be more efficient. And I'm curious how you handle that. I'll give you an example uh, from, from, from my work experience. Uh, I, I used to work a long time ago uh, with motorcycle dealers. And in the 90s, they were implementing uh, what we would call dealer management systems. You get a lot of pushback from salespeople who were used to doing things a certain way, like, oh, now I got to put stuff in this system. It takes me more time because I got to do more data entry. Or uh, someone comes at the parts counter and, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was, they were used to, like, uh, if someone needed a special order or something, I just wrote something on a post it note and then I handed it to the parts manager and they handled it in the order. And now it's like, oh, all of a sudden, like, I got to figure out how to do that in the system and it takes me more time because it's just easier to just write this thing on a piece of paper. Or, oh, well, I used to just email this person this and now you're telling me that I got to, I got to, you know, I gotta, I can't just email the document that I gotta put it here in SharePoint and do this, that, and the other. Like, what a pain. This is a drag. So, how do you handle situations where you get pushback from your team who think, oh, I'm okay? You know, they might look at it from a, you know, a very enthusiastic point of view saying, yeah, we're getting a system. I'm not talking about a technology, but we're putting a new system processes in place. It's gonna be great for everybody. And then they start looking at it and say, well, this is harder than I used to do it. Like, <laughs> so, so you start getting some like pushback from people. And how do you, how do you end up managing those kinds of expectations? Yeah. So, so in your scenario, if, if you were a client, you came to me and you said, Hey, I've got this problem and uh, you know, I, I need to fix one particular part of the, the system or the process and to, to make the overall system efficient. My go-to tool is something called uh, value stream mapping. Uh, and it's a very, um, I don't want to say it's, I don't want to say it's complicated in that, you know, people can't, but it's, it's, in, it's an intense way of tr transforming the organization uh, where you take a look at, you know, how are, how are, what's your current state? What, what is the future state of the organization that you want? And when you know the current state versus the future state, you, you then know the risks and gaps of your performance and you come up with an action plan. Um, and this helps with uh, mitigating that conversation of, hey, you, you, you know, you just changed my job to make it harder. Well, we, we did that because it's for the good of the, of, the, of the overall system. That framework takes, you know, several months to, uh, several months to implement. Now, for small businesses, that framework is, is kind of, over, it's, it's over, let me just say, it's overkill. When you run into that scenario where you're changing somebody's job um, for the for the for the betterment of the organization, the way to handle that is months before, uh, weeks or months before you actually change their job, and it's this concept of socialization. 
Um, it's part of it's part of change management. It's it's having discussions, uh, and not just one way discussions, but real, but truly, you know, back and forth, engaging with your folks, um, you know, understanding where they're coming from, uh, in 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 their work, in, engaging with them, and and letting them know, hey, I hear you. Um, but here are some changes that are coming, you know, here are some changes that are coming down the pike and, um, you know, we need, you know, we essentially, we need your support. What are your, you know, what are your misgivings? What are the things that are bothering you about this and, and genuinely engaging with them and engaging their concerns, um, and, 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 and talking with them. That's how, that's how I mitigate that, that scenario. Um, because oftentimes when it, when, when we do process improvement events or continuous improvement events, oftentimes we get stuck in our own little silo, you know, our work, you know, head down, we're going to improve this particular process. But what we've done is something called sub optimization. We've optimized the thing that's in front of us, but at the expense of the overall business, overall company. Or, or, or overall organization. Uh, and so when it comes to um, process improvement and systems implementation, you wanna think about the, the overall business, the larger business and make sure the work that you're doing is making positive impacts on, uh, on the bigger picture. Uh, and so the way around, you know, and so the way around suboptimization is to, as a leader, have, have that big picture view of um of the business and know that when you're going to change somebody's work you're going to impact them not just at work um you know not just the work in front of them but also on an on an emotional level uh because uh they've been doing that job the best way that they know how and and you're basically telling them we're gonna you know when you tell them we're gonna do it this way because it's better you're essentially telling them your way wasn't, you know, your way wasn't good enough. And if you have conversations with them in the weeks and months leading up to that change, that'll help mitigate that that situation of of resistance to that change and, and help overcoming um, overcoming that um, or not overcoming, but but getting better people buy in for what it is that you want to do. So I know Spencer, you got a question, but just really quickly, uh, this this conversation reminded me I recently went to uh, the Honda dealership to get my car service done. And one of the things they started doing, I don't know if it was a year or two ago, is they started having the service technician take a video, right, of the car repairs or services being performed. And they're walking around with their phone and they're recording, okay, well, here's the engine this and then we did this and, and here are your brakes and they look good. And oh, you know, this car's out of well, it takes the guy, I don't know, a few minutes to walk around the car and record all that stuff. And, you know, if I'm the service tech and I am getting compensated based on efficiency, you know, I darn well better make sure that this isn't going to adversely impact my efficiency and potentially my pay because I've now been asked to walk around with a camera and record what I've done. That wasn't in the job description before. And now I'm adding an extra five to 10 minutes on every job that I do having to walk around and record this thing. So I think you're exactly right. If, if you don't involve people in that process from the outset and yeah. 
and have them feel like they were part of the solution, you know, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be pretty upset. So I like this idea uh, of uh, um, breaking down the silos, the suboptimization, all that is very, very interesting. Sorry, Spencer, I just had to interject that oh, before great, you. Great question, question and, and comments. So talk to us about one of the things that I know you talk about are the four stages of business and, and what do systems look like in, at, at each stage? And, and how, do, how does an organization know what stage they're in? Yeah, so at the very beginning, and so, you know, as a beginning business owner, um, so, so um, um, the very beginning is in the survival stage. And every business has to go through it. Every business owner goes through the survival stage where their performance is up and down. Uh, and when you look at systems at survival, um, what you'll find is that either there's nothing documented or things are documented haphazardly, or if you have a team, um, there's no regard to systems and processes, right? And and the problem with being in survival is if you don't get help uh, getting out of survival, um, you'll eventually get out of survival because you'll have to close up shop and uh, and, 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 and move on to, to something else. So, so those... I got I to interrupt you because this is su- super mm. important. And one of the things that I notice is in this survival mode, you're, you're not making decisions based on, uh, you know, uh, really systems and, and that, are, that are logical. It's just gut feel. I feel like I need to be I here. Feel, I yeah, need to be absolutely. Yeah. And it, and it kind of can feed into that, what I was talking about earlier. We got to go after every penny. And so we're yeah. actually spending time in a, we're, we're using our time unwisely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so that's survival. Um, the vast majority of businesses are in this next stage, which is stagnation. Right. And so what's nice about stagnation is that you're able to cover your expenses. Maybe you've got a slight growth on or a slight growth trajectory, uh, for your business, but, um, things are flat. Performance is flat. Revenue is flat. Uh, and in, um, uh, in the stagnation phase, what, what you'll see with, with regards to systems and processes is that some of the things are documented, um, but the, the, the problem with the documentation is that they're not well, that they're not well organized. And so to get out of the stagnation phase is you want to start thinking about organizing your systems and processes. You want to look at um, how am I getting my customers in the door? What's my sales process? Uh, what's my onboarding process once I complete the sale? Um, how do I how do I then deliver a result to a client? And then how do I get repeat business? If you can walk through that customer journey and understand every system and process that supports it, or the core systems and process, I'm sorry. When you when you look at the big picture that way, you're looking at those core processes, and then you you want to understand how do your systems and processes support that 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 customer journey, um, and so if you can get into um, organizing your system, your you know these documents into something that's uh, easy to use, um, easy to access, easy to write, um, that makes organizations so much easier. For uh, for your team, uh, you know the classic way to do it is just just open up a Word document and start writing down your notes. Uh, but what I would encourage your listeners uh, to explore are the um, software as a subscription services for uh, uh, for 
documenting your systems and processes. There are some great tools out there um, that, um, that they can use to, to help. So leveraging modern technology, not relying on pencil and paper, you know, paper printouts is, is uh, the key to organizing uh, your processes to get out of the stagnation phase. The next phase that um, in business ownership is in is the um, um, is the growth phase, and growth, and this is where everybody wants to get to is you know and, and growth is nice because you have a, a trajectory upwards in as far as revenue, as far as performance, as far as client acquisition goes, um, but the, the only drawback is that that growth is linear, right? It's just a straight line. Uh, it's a straight line up. When you're in the growth phase, what you want to do, um, uh, with, with your, uh, systems and processes is you want to, um, start looking at optimizing. Um, once you've, um, once you've started, uh, once you've started, once you've gotten the documentation down, uh, you can then look at, um, okay, I've got the basics down for, uh, for this. I've got a good system. Okay, where can I start looking at improvements to really get performance, uh, performance to the next level? Um, and, and with optimization, those are things like, like the process improvement, uh, uh, like those, like brainstorming sessions with your team to see, you know, how do we make um, how do we make this um, how do we get this system and process more efficient? If you get out of the scale phase, where you really want to be is in the is in the growth phase. I'm sorry. If you get out of the scale phase, what you really want to be is in the growth phase. And the growth phase is like the scale, except it's exponential. Uh, and the way out of that is now looking at what are the what are the other supporting systems that you have. You're able to get client acquisition. You're able to uh, optimize your operations, um, and then and then repeat customers. But what about now your people systems? What about now your management and leadership systems? Um, what are the other supporting systems that you need um, to really tie the whole business together, um, so that um, uh, you can continue on this um, this this scaling trajectory? That and that's where everybody wants to be. In the small business world, it's all about scaling and growing. But how do you how do you get there? And and what I'm advocating for in, in this interview is that using systems and processes to work through the four phases of business will get you to um, eventually the business that you've always dreamed of. You know that asset where you, you now have choices about whether or not you want to continue on the business, uh, whether you want to sell the business. Um, you know so that you so that you can retire. And so. You know, just to sum up the four phases of business, survival, stagnation, um, uh, growth, and then, and then scaling. You got so, that, Christian? <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, having been a, a business that's been kind of in the first phase, uh, that that survival stage for a while, uh, I mean, it's comforting to know that those stages are there. 
I'm curious, uh, in your experience, when you actively help uh, companies, uh, you know, what is it, or how long does it take to move from one of those phases, you know, because I can say, oh, well, uh, yeah, I want to, I might be in survival mode today, and I'm going to scale tomorrow. But that's probably not realistic, right? Yeah. So, so right. you know, how long? Uh, I, and I know it's probably very it varies greatly on industry and on the individual leader and so on and so forth. But when you've got the help of uh, a systems champion, uh, I can't remember if that was the the terminology yeah. you used, but something yeah. like that. If you get the help of a systems champion, uh, um, you know, how how. Just tell me how that that trajectory looks, you know, from going from survival to stagnation to growth to scale. So it's a it's a it is a process. I feel like a, a broken record every time I say process. I'll try to find a different word, but you go through cycles. Uh, and so uh, what you need to do is, if you embark on this journey of systemizing your business, know that um, whether it's a quarterly basis or biannual or, 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 or annual, well, annual, I think is too long. I think quarterly and biannual where you look at what you want to do is you want to look at, um, you know, that value stream, that customer journey, it, it, and take that big picture. And then from that big picture decide, okay, for the next three months, for the next quarter, or for the next six months, we're going to work on this part of systemizing the business. And at the end of that, three month or six month period, take a step back and see where you are with that systemization uh, and then do it again, right? And this is the concept of continuous improvement where you make an improvement, you let it kind of simmer and, and, and you know, simmer and fester for a little bit and see if that improvement took place and then stop, take a look and then do it again. And that's the key. So it's not an application. It, this isn't a one-time application for the business of, of systemizing. Um, I, so I have not had a chance to work with a, with a company for years yet, but as I talk to other folks that work in this space, um, uh, some have been lucky enough to be working with company for, for two, three, four years. And, and I have uh, a story of one of my colleagues who's, who's, who was working with, uh, it was in Australia. I think it was, um, like I think it was a fire inspection service where they had in Australia, he'd been working with them for three or four years in systemizing their business. And one day the owner said, we, we want to take this, this model that we have and export it to the UK. So it's basically a turnkey operation. And uh, because they'd worked that long on systemizing the business, they were able to take that and essentially create a franchise model where they, where they, you know, uh, took that, took that franchising concept, you know, put it in another country and it was, it was up and running. So the, the, the short answer to your question is, um, it takes years to get to be a fully systemized business, to be able to get to, uh, that level of what, whatever level of scale and growth you want to get to. Um, and in those years, it's a cycle, it's a continuous cycle of, of applying, um, systemizing and, and following the steps of systemizing your business and then just taking stock and then coming back and looking at, okay, where do we go next with, with systemizing the business? So, 
so I hope that answered your 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 question there, Christian. In that it, it takes several years to to do it, and you, you just have to do it continuously. So you know we're we're kind of getting to the end of our our time together. There, there's some other things that uh, that I think you wanted to share. You know, talking about this iceberg method and why you know lean or six sigma doesn't work for 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 some small business necessarily, but anything you want to just wrap up with as, as we start to, to close that maybe you missed? Well, um, uh, so I guess I'll just state this. I, I did set up um, a, a small page for um, any of your listeners that might be interested in systems and processes for their small business. It's, it's a preview of the book titled Systemology. It's written by Dave Jennings. Um, I, I, I work with, with Dave and his team in, in applying that framework for, uh, for small businesses. Uh, and so happy to, to provide that link to your, uh, to your listeners and your audience, uh, if they're interested. Um, and let me just say, is if, if you can get to the point of systemizing your business as a business owner, that creates a lot of freedom and opportunity for you because you're not stuck in the business. Uh, one of the things that I helped my, one of my clients with was was re- relieving the single person dependency pain point that he was having. So essentially, what was happening was that work would work would stop because there was so much uh, attention and decisions that his team needed from him, and, and and I was able to help him in documenting systems and processes so that uh, he could. And his plan was to retire in five years. He could, he could, you know, start walking away from the business and know that it was in good hands because the team had a way to uh, follow processes and documents and make decisions, make decisions without him. And so, you know, I think the the point that I'm trying to leave here with is that systems and processes really do create, uh, you know, freedom for uh, for the business owner. It's not stifling. Um, a lot of folks that that our creatives might think that if I have to follow a checklist, uh, it'll stifle me. Uh, in fact, the opposite is true because when you create that checklist, you end up freeing up a lot of mental capacity, not just for you, but also for your team where their critical thinking and their creativity uh, really come through. So uh, I think that's my final point that I wanted to leave with was that uh, we can really create uh, freedom for, for business owners with, uh, with systems and processes um, and, and something that their their team would uh, be proud to follow and, and be proud, uh, you know, is proud to be of their part of their company uh, and team. Well, Vance, I really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to come and speak with us today. If uh, you know, and we'll put those links in the in the show notes so that people can access those. Aside from those links. If people do want to reach out to you, if they've got any questions, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, very easy to find me because I'm the only person, I think, I think I'm the only person in the world that spells Vance Valencia with an H. So V-H-A-N-C-E uh, and V-A-L-E-N-C-I-A. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and then, um, you know, if you want to send me an email or a message through LinkedIn, or if you're not on LinkedIn, you can send me an email. Um, it's simply Vance at VanceValencia.com. So happy to have a conversation with, uh, with anybody that needs systems help for, uh, for their business. I want to say thanks for inviting me onto your podcast. It was, uh, I had a great time. 
Well, it was our pleasure to host you and we're so grateful that uh, you took the time. I, I learned a lot in this hour and and I'll be reaching out afterwards because I definitely need help in this area. Spencer, you do a lot of fantastic work with teams around the world. And uh, if people want to learn more about the things that you can do to help them improve team performance, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Thank you, Christian. First of all, thank you, Vance. And thank you for your service, 21 years in the military. Uh, on behalf of my family, we really appreciate all that that uh, that you did. And so glad to have you on the show. And uh, people can reach me on LinkedIn, and I use that every day. So Spencer Horn. And um, unfortunately, our live LinkedIn uh, presentation did not work today because of the somehow the, the time got screwed up and it just didn't go active. So I apologize for that. But Christian, uh, with all of your great experience, I know people are reaching out to you. It just happened uh, yesterday, right? Or the day before? How do they find you? How do they find yeah, you? Yeah, LinkedIn as well. You know, I think uh, I'll just uh, go unanimous on the LinkedIn here. So just look for Christian Napier on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll find me there. And thank you so much again, uh, Vance. Uh, and I echo Spencer's sentiment. Thank you again for your service. Listeners, thank you for joining us. Please like and subscribe to our podcast. And we'll catch you again soon.